I'm no longer a child of fear. Uh, nothing to fear but fear itself. Is that true? Well, let's look in the Bible and look at the title of the message, A Failure to Launch. What's that all about? How, what does that have to do with fear? Well, so many times we come up with New, New Year's resolutions. And by the way, just on behalf of the gym I go to, um, after the first five days of January, we miss you, okay? And so, you know, we make resolutions all the time. In fact, some of you maybe have thought to yourself, you know, I'd really like to start reading the Bible. In fact, I want to read through the Bible in a year. But you never get around to that. You never really launch out in that. You know, like the guy that was exercising, you know, I got the exercise machines for Christmas. I got the gadgets, you know, and around my watch, I mean, my, my wrist and my, my armband, you measure the cholesterol, measure the calories, the macros, the micros, and, but, but nobody gave me that gadget that causes me to get started, you know? And, and we feel that way sometimes. So why is it that we have to have faith and trust is tough when it makes no sense? Why would it never make sense? We celebrated the Lord's table this morning and the Lord's Supper, and we remember the cross. We said that God surrounds us. You may think you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by God. So why does faith sometimes make no sense? Well, the number one barrier, I'm not saying it's the only one, but it's basically the number one barrier to us trusting Christ is fear. In fact, the Bible presents Courage and trust is almost the same thing. It's an expression of our faith. And all through the Bible, we're going to find out that that is exactly true, and especially in the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, last week, we began this series of messages, and we defined faith. And it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What it's saying is, look, there's something in the future here that I'm hoping for. In fact, the word hope in the Bible has to do with faith. And so I believe it's going to come about in my life, and I'm looking forward to it. There's also a conviction because there's things around us that we can't see. You know, you and I have probably, I know I've never seen Jesus in the flesh. I've never seen him in his spirit. I've never seen the Holy Spirit. I've never seen angels. So there's things going on all around us that I cannot see. So there's a conviction, there's a, a conviction, a knowing in my heart that those things are true. And then it says, by it, the word of God frame the world. Well, we trust in the word of God, so it has to do with confidence, conviction, and character. And we said in action-wise, it just simply means to lay down upon something. Remember we said that trust in the Hebrew, back in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, when we looked at that last week, we said that trust means to lie down upon. Just like you came in, as we gave the illustration last week, you came in, you sat down on the pew. You didn't test it. How many of you tested it out, by the way? You know, I said, well, based on last week's sermon, I thought I might t test that out. No, you just came in, you sat down on the pew, and you trusted it. When you go to the doctor, and he gives you a prescription, and you go to the pharmacist, you get the prescription filled, and you just take the medicine. You know, you and I go to the grocery store, perhaps. And as long as the dates are good on that, those goods that you buy, you throw it in the cart, you go home, you cook it, and you eat it without, without anything, without any thought to it. So we all have trust. We all have faith. But the limitation to our, the, the limitation to our faith is going to have to do with the object of the faith that we choose. And we went over the reasons why that God ought to be our object. So why fear? What is this kind of thing all about? Well, there's the what ifs, right? I mean, after all, what if God doesn't love me enough? 
wasn't God not powerful enough? What about, what, what about I'm misinterpreting the Bible? What about I don't have a promise? What about if this happens in this circumstances, I'm praying for this, but what if, what if, what if? Well, it's the same, tr- same was true with the disciples, or rather with the Israelites of the Old Testament. So let me set up this passage for you before I read a few verses. If you recall, back in the book of Genesis, there's a fellow by the name of Joseph, one of the sons of Israel, and he was uh, cast out into to really Egypt by his brothers. And because of that, circumstances came about where he became the most powerful man in Egypt. And because of that, with a famine striking the land, he brought his brothers and his dad from their land to the land of Egypt so they could live, so they wouldn't starve to death. Well, everything went on. Years passed. Decades passed. And the Bible says that the nation of Israel was very, very blessed. They won favor with God, and their herds grew, their money grew, their wealth grew, their population grew, and there's a Pharaoh that came up that didn't know Joseph. He says, look, these Hebrews are going to overtake our land. We've got to do something. So they put them into slavery for hundreds of years. And a fellow by the name of Moses came along, approached Pharaoh under God's orders and said, God said to let my people go. And he says, I don't know this God that you're talking about. I'm not going to let all my slaves go. And so God sent 10 plagues upon the nation of Egypt. And every one of them, it said God, uh, rather Pharaoh hardened his heart more and more and more until the last one. Finally, he just said, go, get out of here. In fact, the nation of Egypt wanted the Israelites to leave so badly, they gave them all kinds of riches. And so they're, they're leaving Egypt with a lot of their wealth out in the wilderness, and they come to a place uh, called Kadesh Barnea. In fact, the Red Sea has already been parted. The Red Sea parted because Pharaoh thought to himself, boy, you know, I'm, I'm going to look bad in front of my people. All the slaves are gone. What am I going to do? I'm going to go after the Israelites and bring them back. So God parted the Red Sea. All the Israelites went over on dry land. And then when the armies came through, the sea crashed, killed all the um, Egyptian sh- soldiers. So all these miracles were taking place. Now they're in a place called Kadesh Barnea, and they're about to go into the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham, their ancestor, and the place really where they came from originally before Joseph pulled them back over. And so here's the, the, what, what's happened. Um, Moses sent 12 spies into the land to check it out, to see what they can do to conquer the land. Instead, they went all throughout the land, and they decided to evaluate it. Here's what happened. Verse 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, he came, we came to the land of which you have sent us, it flows with milk and honey. Notice, it's exactly like God described it. It's a wonderful land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Anakites dwell in the land, the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and along the Jordan. He said, look, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. These were actually 10 different spies. A land flowing with milk and honey is just like God said, but fortified cities, giants in the land, we can't do it. Caleb comes along, one of the two that brought back a good report, and he says this, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, 
Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw there were in great height. These were giants in the land, and these were the sons of the Anakim, which later, when David killed the giant, Goliath, he was a son of Gath, or an Anakim. He's kind of a leftover from all that. And there he saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who, came, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it be better for us just to go back to Egypt? Look, it's so bad. They're so fearful that they're thinking to themselves, it's just better just to go back to slavery than die here. What brings about that kind of fear in someone's life? All the what-ifs that were going through their life. Well, I want us to look at three things. What? The what-ifs. Secondly, the what-fors. And lastly, the how-to. Real quickly, the what-ifs. Everything in here we can identify with. He says there's fortified cities. There's barriers in your life right now. Barriers. You just say, I cannot overcome all the barriers that I have in life. And I just can't believe that God would help me to do that. There are giants in my life. There's impossible problems, circumstances in my life that there's just no way. It'd take a miracle to get me through. It's a land that devours. And you're, you feel like you're in a world that's just a bad place. A bad, bad place to be. You're in a bad place. Wives and our children will be plundered. It's a dangerous place. Basically, what they were saying was this. If I obey God, God will let me down. If I obey God, he will wipe us out. And they were afraid. And they took counsel of their fears. Now, maybe a problem and the reason why you don't launch out, it could be a little bit laziness. It could be busyness. But the greatest barrier is fear itself. Fearing the wrong thing. Somebody says, well, I fear my career. I fear about my money. I fear about my, the goods that I have. I fear about my family. All kinds of fear. And because people become afraid when their God reaches their limitations, its limitations. That's why the object of your God is so important. Somebody says, well, you need to believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. I'm not saying that's a horrible thing to say because certainly if you have confidence, it's going to be better if you don't have any confidence. But you are limited by what you can do. And you come to your limitation because all the circumstances, which is about, what, 95, 98% of life, all the things around you that surround you are not coming together, and you can't do anything about it, and so you become afraid. You become afraid about your career. You become maybe afraid, again, about, about other things in your life. And the Bible teaches us that because of that, we, we lack the courage to launch out. We lack the courage to take those, those steps of faith with God. Let me give you an example. In, Rome, in Revelation chapter 21, at the end of time, it says this, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, 
So murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And you look at this and say, now look, I mean, wow, that's kind of hard to swallow, but okay, I can believe murderers, the detestable, the idolaters, the sorcerers. Oh yeah, you know, the witchcraft and all that, but cowardly? I mean, isn't that courage? Isn't that sort of a character uh, trait? I mean, some people have it and some people don't. You know, some people are, man, they just go out there and try anything and others won't try anything at all. No, the Bible presents it as courage because we're placing our faith in something and we're willing to move ahead. And we're, because of that, we're placing our trust in something. And if we don't, then we lack courage with God. Notice it says here in this passage, it says in verse 20, after Moses comes and intervenes before the people and said, God, please don't destroy him. God said this, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land which I swore to give to the fathers, and none of those who despised me shall see it. Despised me. Verse 24 says, Caleb had a whole heart, and he's going to be blessed, and he's going to be able to go. He says, despise me. Treat me with contempt. The what-ifs of life. Treating me with contempt. Why? Because I'm not the object of their faith. It's pretty obvious that I'm, I'm not. I've done all these things for them, and I'm part of the Red Sea. Look what I've done, and yet they still are not worshiping me. They're worshiping something else. Something else is on the throne. They have, they, they have looked at me and said, you're just detestable. Now, what's the problem? We fear, and, and the biggest fear of all, by the way, is failure. We feel failure. You know, if I strike out, step out in a ministry, for example... I may not do that well. I may fail in that. Somebody may come back to me and say, you know, we don't really need you. So you fail. Or if I strike out in giving, I, I might not have enough money. Or if I strike out maybe in, in my prayer life where I say, look, I'm really putting it on the line. I'm telling people I'm praying for this this year, and I'm embracing this in prayer, and it doesn't come true. Wow, you know, you've really failed. We want to be successful. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine back in college and uh, he was uh, wanted to date a, a girl really bad, but one in particular, but just date. He says, you know, I want a dating life, I want a dating life. And he had all kinds of excuses. And he says, I want to find the right one. I want to get married and I want to, you know, uh, have kids and all that. And I said, you know, before you do that, you got to date. you gotta, you got to ask someone, you know, to go out. And so he did. He asked this girl to go out and they eventually got married. But I, I asked him, I said, why don't you just go out, go out and say, hey, I'm just going to do it? He says, I'm afraid I'll fail. I don't want just a, a dating life. I want a successful dating life. I can't strike out in business and do something different because I want to be successful at that. What does that tell us? That tells us that we are afraid of the uncertainty of life, the what-ifs of life. And let me share this with you. Faith in, involves risk on our part. It does. Faith embraces the uncertainty of it all. For example, in salvation, we talked about that before. Somebody says, hey, you just can't know. You can't know that these things are true about God. You can't, okay, you can know he died on a cross, 
but you can't really know that he died for your sins. You can't really know why he rose again from the dead. You can't know. You can't know. And you can't until you get saved. And then you just know it. But there's a risk involved. Why should I give my life to Christ? And as I give my heart and life to Christ, as I put my, everything in his, Lord, in his hands, I don't even hardly know this one. It's a risk. And everything we do as we place our faith in him has risk involved as far as we're concerned. Because you see, whatever our agenda is, is risk at that point. We're always looking at a situation where a risk, it's a risk for what I'm seeking. But it's never a risk for what God's seeking for me. God knows what's going on. And, and the whole thing is, is this. The object of my faith is something else. I'm putting something else on the throne. And we can test this out as we have before. We, we can just simply test it out. Has there been a time in your life where you've really prayed about something? And it didn't come. You just didn't get the right answer that you wanted. And you got mad. You got upset. Well, that's kind of natural maybe for a, a day, a few hours. But you really got upset. In fact, maybe today is the first day you've been to church in a long time because you've been really upset with God. Now, I'm not saying I've never done that before because it's, it's true that I have. I've been upset with God, and I've tried to manipulate God. Maybe in some way, you know, maybe if I feel this way, he'll feel sorry for me, or he'll say, I'll prove it to you, and, and he'll change his mind. I mean, all kinds. Of, fear is irrational, okay? But if I, in my own heart, am upset with God because he doesn't give me something, that whatever I wanted him to give me was more important in my life than God himself and my relationship with him. And so we're fixed with a situation where I'm reaching out to God and I'm placing my faith in God, but every time I step out on faith with something new, obviously, in my own mind, it's going to be a risk because I, I'm risking my security. I'm risking my fulfillment. I'm putting my own God on the line and taking him off the throne and putting God on. That's, that's a risk for me. But it'll always accomplish what God wants to accomplish. It's never a risk for him. And so we look. See the what ifs. The what ifs are there because we've got the wrong thing on the throne. We're, we're seeking out the glory of the wrong thing. We're seeking out the honor and the applause of ourselves. Why do you not want to fail? Because you want to be able to walk into a boardroom on your job and people look at you and say, I want, to, I want some advice from you because you're so successful. Wow, well, you know, I'd like to know how you raised your family. I'd like to know how you got that sale. I got to know, uh, tell me how you got that promotion. Oh, I've heard of you. I've heard of you from the third floor of my bed. You know, we want people to honor us. But, dear friends, if we want the applause, there's a problem there because the Bible says you're seeking your own honor instead of the honor and glory of God. So let's look at it further because you say, what about the what fors? Well, notice there's, there's some explanation here. They sent spies into the land. Ten came back with a good report, bad report, two with a good. They believed the bad. Why would they believe the bad? Because it's already bad. They're already to the negative. They already don't, don't have, they're already fearful in their heart. We're naturally fearful because we feel like the only thing that we can trust in is ourselves, and we know that we are very limited. And we get to the end of our rope and what we can do, and we become fearful. We see in this passage, a couple of questions that come out. Number one, uh, we fear why? 
because we don't know who we're really placing our confidence in. When we're in a service like this and I start bringing out these questions, you start thinking, I never thought about it that way. You know, I'm just not sure. The Israelites didn't even know God. All they knew was there's 10 plagues. Moses said he was alive. There were 10 plagues that went on. The parting of the Red Sea, they saw all the miracles of God, but they were just really starting out on their relationship with God. Second thing is, we have too much to lose. They had all these riches now and all this freedom. They had a lot to lose. We feel like we have a lot to lose. I mean, I'm risking something. Okay, it's no risk to God because his will is going to be accomplished for my life. I'm going to end up where I need to go with God. But at the same time, I feel like, wow, you know, I'd really like to become this, you know, and and I'm not becoming that. Maybe if I trust God. Maybe God won't answer my prayer. Maybe I won't become that great major league baseball player that I want to be. Maybe I won't become that great businessman that I want to be. Maybe I, I won't be able to get in medical school. Maybe, maybe, what if, what if, what if? And we're saying that is more important. So we have a lot to lose. Thirdly, we forget what God's done. And lastly, we fail to choose our fear because we're going to fear for something all the time. So what are we going to fear the most? What are we going to take counsel of our fears? So let's tackle these, the how-to. First of all, when we look at our God, we have to look at, say, what are you living for? you got to ask the question, what are you living for? Yeah, there's risk involved. There was risk involved in, um, in, in Caleb's life. We could read in Joshua chapter 14, verse 12, where he says, you know, the land of Hebron is promised to me, and perhaps God will be with me. Perhaps. What about Daniel, in the book of Daniel, the three uh, Hebrew children, we call them, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they weren't children, they were grown men, but they were in the fiery furnace because Nebuchadnezzar said, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon said, if you don't worship me and bow down to my statue, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And they said this, God is well able to deliver us, but even if he does not, we will not bow down to you. So their God was God. But what about, what about us? So well, Pastor, look, I'm having to wait for this and wait for that. I'm not, you know, God never wastes any moments. He never wastes a detour. He never, as far as you're concerned, he never wastes a moment. Right now, the Israelites didn't know him. During the time in the wilderness, they got to know who he was. They got to know a true identity. They had no identity coming out of Egypt. They were slaves. That's what they looked at themselves. It's just simply slaves. They had no relationship with God. He taught them how to relate to God, the Ten Commandments and other laws, how to care for themselves, how to relate to other nations around them, which was very, very important if they were going to have long-lasting time on the earth as the nation of Israel. And so God was doing all this as they're looking toward him. So we ask ourselves the question, who am I trying to honor? Who am I trying to glorify? Who's really first place? Secondly, what do you have to lose? Well, in America, plenty. It seems like the God is pouring out his spirit once again. And on nations all over, in India, I mean, it just seems like millions are being saved over there. We can look at Iran. Iran right now has revival going on. And people look at it and the promises of God, what do they have to lose? In early America, 
with the revivals taking first, second great awakening, what do they have to lose? What do we have to lose? A lot. We've got a lot of stuff. We've got a lot of promise. We've got a lot of uh, potential. And we, we own it. And so we can lose it. Let me give you a, a we've got school teachers in here. How many of you are, are school teachers? Anybody here? Raise your hand if you're a school teacher. Oh, I've got several. All right. You're a school teacher. We'll just say you are the best school teacher at your elementary school. The very best. You care about your students like hardly no one else really cares. You, uh, they, they come in the morning. They're kind of half-dressed. You kind of fix them up a little bit. You make sure they've got their homework done, got, got their assignment done. Uh, you, you don't scold them all the time. You know, and you just you know, discipline when you have to. You're just kind of like the perfect teacher. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're that perfect teacher, and I'm talking about everybody here, if you're that perfect teacher, and those 30 children go back home, how much do you think about them after 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock? How much, really? Oh, you say, well, i got a problem child here, and I think about them. No, I'm not talking about necessarily the exception, just the typical child. I wonder if they got supper tonight. I wonder if they're in bed on time. Did they get their homework done? No, you don't think about that at all. Why? Because no matter how much you care about them, they don't belong to you. As a parent, you're asking all those questions. Are they sick? Are they okay? Do I need to take them to the door? Because they belong to you. The business people in this room, people look up to you and say, man, I wish I owned that business and make all that money and have all that debt and, you know, whatever, you know, but have all those bills, all those headaches. But you go home at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and don't think about the business anymore. And your boss thinks about the business all the time because he has it. It's his. Listen, if you, if, if you own all your money, then all your money is your stuff. you got a lot to worry about. If your career is owned by you, you got a lot to worry about. you got a lot to lose. If everything around you, all your stuff is, belongs to you, you figure, it's my stuff got a lot to lose, a lot to worry about. But here's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says that we are stewards. And a steward is a manager of another's household or possessions. In other words, God owns it all, and I'm a manager of what he owns. Whatever he gives me, the time that he gives me, the treasures that he gives us, the talents, the spiritual gifts at salvation that he gives us, he gives to me and gives to you and we are managers of that, therefore we take our lead from the manager. In Genesis, it tells us that we have been created to be stewards of God. And you say, well, look, I, I own my, you know, let's face it. I am a, I'm a sharp guy, I'm a sharp lady, and I've got the, the ability to make all this wealth. And, you know, I did it myself. Well, listen to what Deuteronomy says. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to make wealth. He's the one that gives you the drive. He's the one that gives you the knowledge, the experience. Everything that we have comes from him. Psalm 116, 16 says this. Oh, Lord, I am your servant. I'm your steward. That's what he's saying. I am your steward, the son of a maid servant. You have loosed my bonds. God, because you own it, because you own it, you've loosed my bonds. Now, this was proven to me uh, or shown to me. I was able to give myself an illustration, or God gave me an illustration of this years ago when um, about four of us took off to a Florida-Georgia game. And we were in the car 
two Florida fans, two Georgia fans, okay, Georgia Bulldog fans. I won't tell you which one I was, but uh, we were going, and uh, it, it, was one, it was the only time where they didn't meet at the Gator Bowl um, because, in Jacksonville, because it was, the stadium was being uh, remodeled. And so one year it was played in Athens, Georgia. One year it was played up here in Gainesville. The year it was played in Gainesville, we decided to make the trip. And one guy who had the tickets, season tickets, he was one that drove us, and he knew the way and the back roads. And so we sort of ended up in sort of a really almost downtown Ocala riding through. And he says, uh, I always just eat at this Burger King. Is that all right with y'all? And I said, yeah, sure. Great with me. So we pulled in. And uh, now here's the thing about it. I left out this part of the story. I had to drive myself. I had to follow them, okay? And because I had a series of revival meetings starting the next morning, I wasn't even coming back here. And uh, I was going to be up in Denellen, kind of on the way, and um, Denellen, Florida, and I was going to preach a week of meetings there. So I had my suits. I had my sermons, you know. I had all that stuff with me. And I, I just talked to the guy inside. I said, do you mind if I park my car out here, we're just going to go to the game, and we're going to come back by here. And he said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I left my car out there. And so we came back through. It was pouring down rain all during the game. And uh, my team lost big time. And so we're, we're coming back, and we look at the parking lot of the Burger King. We pull in, and we just said, oh, my, where's my car? It was gone. There was no car there. And so... We call the police, and all I can think of is, God, somebody stole your car, you know, with your sermons and, my, and your suits. I hope they fit, you know, and everything. And so it, it didn't really, but I was concerned that I had to come all the way back home, not get any sleep, get a, another suit, and, and try to and find another Bible and come out and, and drive the next morning and start preaching at 8 o'clock in the morning. So that was my concern. The police said, you sure you got the right place? Yes. What, you know, what do you think? We're stupid. <laughs> we didn't say that to him, but we said it to ourselves. You know. So he left. We got in the car. We started driving back down the road. And look, again, it's not the, the highway. It's not the I-75, but it's the road that parallels it, the four lane that kind of goes with all the, the food um, stuff and all the stores. So we're driving by there, and we're talking, and the guy in the back seat says, look, you can borrow my car. You don't have a, another car. You can borrow mine. I've got this junker, and you can, I can drive the junker to church. It's only a couple miles away. You can take my car. So, wow, thanks. Appreciate it. And all of a sudden, the driver who was, who was in charge of everything, okay, I'm putting the blame on him, put in charge of everything, says, uh-oh, and I look, and there's another Burger King on the same road, two miles down the road. We turn into the Burger King, and lo and behold, there's my little, my little Honda Accord sitting right there in the middle of the parking lot. Well, we had, I started to just jump in. I thought, well, you know, we, we told, told the police this thing was stolen. And so we had to call the police. He came back. We got the same police officer, man. <laughs> And he just died laughing. He got on his phone. He was telling everybody what was happening. I had to call the pastor back, and I said, hey, look, this is what happened. He said he couldn't go to sleep the rest of the night because he and his wife were laughing about it the whole time. <laughs> but you see, that was, that was God's car and God's suits. You know, one of the things I've noticed as I got, I've gotten older, <clears throat> we're in a, we're in a uh, life of loss, 
really. I mean, we are. You, you know, I'm losing my vision. I'm losing my hearing. You know, you heard about the, um, I, I saw on Facebook or something, I, I can't remember what it was, but it said, somebody said, I've lost my, my sight. An older person said, I've lost my sight, lost my hearing, but thank God I can still drive. And, and so you, you lose, you lose parents. You lose, you feel like you're in the Bible, you know, the Bible says we're going to lose all this. And if we are, if, if we take the gifts and the treasures and the talents and the time that God's given us, he's going to give us true tr treasures in heaven. The reason they'll become ours is because they'll be for eternity. But I've never seen a U-Haul, U-Haul uh, pulling or a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You leave it all behind. So what, are you worried about your stuff? Could you give all that stuff to God? But I, I, need to, I need to close out this message real quickly. What, number three, what has God done for you lately? And we can talk about all the blessings of God. Went through my calendar just this past week. Thought, oh, man, I thought I had a rough year. Man, I had a really good year. So many things happening that were so good. But what about the miracle of salvation? Here, here's the, I believe that if you recognize and remember the miracle of your salvation, you'd never get over it. And you can always be called back like we're doing today to take just another step of faith. But the problem is, as one writer put it, we don't see the miracle of our salvation. And to him, he said, that's the difference between real salvation and not. People say, well, look, I'm a good person, you know, and I've, I've been baptized, I've been going to church. But a miracle? Something supernatural? Listen, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of our heart the very moment that we're saved. That's a miracle. I remember when I was 16 years old and that happened to me. Oh, my goodness. I never, I've never gotten over it. I've never gotten over being saved. Do you, do you know that miracle that you can point back to and say, I know what God's done for me. I know that he saved me from sin. I know that what's happened to me, that I had that peace and the hope and the joy and the love of God living within me so much so that I don't want to give that up, which brings me to my last point, and that is got to choose your fear. All of us are afraid of something, and really, it's a, it's a matter of choice, choosing your fears. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You fear the Lord. If you fear the Lord, you're not going to fear, fear loss or failure. You're going to be able to strike out on faith because he's an unlimited God an unlimited object of worship and faith. Since I've received Christ and that miracle of salvation, why would I want to go into sin and leave God and give up my peace, give up the joy? The Israelites, the Israelites were afraid, afraid of losing their lives, afraid of losing their goods, afraid of losing their freedom, but Caleb was afraid that he would lose the favor of God. He made the right choice. I, I'm, he, he would never say, I'm not afraid of the giants. He would just say, look, God, it's God's will that we do this. He's able to overcome the giants. But even, he says, even if, perhaps, perhaps, it doesn't matter because I don't want to lose the favor and blessing of God in my life? What, how would our life change? How would our ethics change? Our morals 
change. If we really believe that there's a miracle that happened to us as salvation, and therefore I, I'm choosing my fear. I fear losing the favor of God more than I lose fear, uh, fearing losing my stuff that I have in life. I'll close with this little story. And this has happened around our area a lot. And if it's happened to you, I don't, I don't mean to bring up something that's difficult for you to deal with. But there's a story, a true story, of a woman who's afraid of water. And they had a pool in their backyard. And her two, three-year-old toddler fell into the pool. And she was deathly afraid of water. Her husband was at work. And her husband was called by the paramedics. And the paramedics met him at the door. He rushed in. And what did he find? His baby was alive. And his wife was soaked from head to toe, dripping with water. And he was astonished. And he got down on one knee in front of her and said, Honey, how'd you do it? You're so afraid of water. You went in. You saved our baby's life. How did you do it? And she made this statement. She said, I was more afraid of losing my child than I was of the water. Choosing your fear. Choosing it. And today, God wants you to strike out on something. It may require some faith on your part of reading the Bible, of ministry, of whatever it is. And God says, look, this is where I want you to go. Do you, do you want to lose the favor? Do you want to lose the path of God that I've directed you on? Or are you more afraid of losing the gifts that I've given you? Maybe you'll take the card this morning, that welcome card. And when you fill it out, you say, you know, this is, this is, where I, this is my next step. This is where God's been leading me. Pray for me. But what about you today that have never tasted of the miracle? I mean, you see the good stuff. You see, okay, this life's been changed. These people are good people. They're friendly people. They're nice, they're, they're nice folks. And you see the difference that Christianity makes. But to you, it's an effort. It's not really a, a miracle. But it is a miracle. It is the miracle, the supernatural miracle of salvation. If that's never happened to you, let me invite you right now to pray that God would save you in that way like he saved me and many others. As we bow our heads before the Lord, if that's the cry of your heart, I would ask you to pray this prayer with me right now silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for the cross, for Jesus dying for me on the cross that I could live. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I ask you to come into my heart, into my life, the inner core of my being. And Lord, I pray that I would experience the miracle of forgiveness the miracle of your light in my heart, the miracle of joy and the peace that only you can give. The miracle of forgiveness is the greatest miracle maybe of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, would you look this way? If you prayed that prayer with me, there's a place on the back of this welcome card, and in the upper right-hand corner, it says, I've decided to surrender my life to Christ and begin a personal relationship with him. If you prayed that prayer with me, Put a little check in that box, and we're going to pass the offering plate in just a moment. And it's not only for our offering, but if you're our guest, it's for you to put this card in as our guest. 
But also, whether you're a guest or a member or a regular attender, if you made that decision to receive Christ, I really would like to know about it. Then there's a place here on response to God's word. Maybe you would put on that card, this is, where, this is the next step of faith I need to take. This is what God's laying on my heart. Or this is what I fear. And, and God can only overcome, by the way, that fear when you worship him rather than worshiping whatever the result you think is going to be of conquering that fear. All right? Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.